Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Today we're going to be talking about a pivotal question, a, a life-altering, life-changing question. And so I thought I would just sort of get the, uh, kind of get the ground, or kind of seed the ground by talking about important questions. Have you ever made what you would consider to be a life-altering response to a question? Or maybe you've, you've offered, a, you've asked somebody else something that was life-altering. Has anybody done that? Let's have some examples. What's a life-altering question that changes everything? This is a pivotal question. Marriage. Marriage. Yeah. Will you marry me? That's a big one, right? I remember when, when I proposed to Andrea, and I was fairly confident she was going to say yes. But like, looking back, we had no idea how life-altering that would be. What, what that, her response to that question, and me asking that question, what it was going to put in motion. That's good. Yeah, what else? That was a big one, obviously. What's that? Becoming a parent. Yes. Life-altering. <laughs> Not just for 18 years, right? <laughs> Becoming a parent, that is life-altering for life. Yeah. Being saved from addiction. Yes. That's life-altering. Many, many in our community have experienced that. What else? Accepting Christ, life-altering. How many, have anybody ever had a, a job decision that was going to be life-altering? You know, when, when Pastor Try, uh, he's the, the pastor who planted the Vineyard Boise Church, when he called Andrea and I, we were living in Southeast Asia, uh, serving in a Bible school over there. This is back at the end of 1998. And he called and offered me a job here at Vineyard Boise which meant leaving what we were doing there and coming here. That was a life-altering question, right? And I think about that sometimes. I, sometimes I wonder, what if we would have said no to that and yes to something else? Like, how would that change everything? I don't know. But there are questions that a lot of things hang on, hinge on. And today we're gonna be looking at a question that one man asked. And I think it's actually a question that all of us have to have to should be asked at some point. I hope you hear this question being asked of you today. I hope you hear it being asked of us. And I think this is probably the most important question. All those questions we, we, uh, we talked about, those are all life-altering. I think perhaps this is the most important question you will ever be asked. So we're gonna turn today um, to Acts chapter 28, or Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter uh, 8, and um, we're going to be looking at, you know, we, you probably see if you're here on campus, we have a, a baptismal tank set up today with warm water in it. I checked. <laughs> um, so just so you know, it is it's really nice, actually. Could be a hot tub. Um, but we're going to be talking about baptism. We're going to do that by looking at the story of one man's baptism. And we're going to use that to ask some questions, to look at the question that he asked that I think is the most important question we can ever ask. 
And we're gonna ask a couple questions of the passage to help us understand it. So if you wanna turn to Acts chapter eight, we're gonna be beginning in verse 26. And um, I'll just read this first verse here. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's, what, that's the messenger, that's what he said. Now, our narrator for this whole story is, is Luke. Luke is a, uh, a, a historian, he's a, a researcher. He's actually a doctor, very methodical, who researched all of the stories about Jesus and the early church and wrote them in, in both Luke and Acts. So he's kind of like our narrator. And he reports this, this message that was given to Philip, but then this is what Luke adds. He says, this is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. So at first glance, that doesn't sound all that remarkable, apart from maybe the message coming from an angel, I guess. <laughs> okay, that's remarkable. Um, I'll give you that. But when we take a closer look at what's happening, if you stop to consider what's going on, even just this brief introduction, where, where this messenger says to Philip, rise and go, leave where you are and go to the desert, this is, this is astonishing. So let's just pause there before we get back to the text and look at a couple of things. First of all, we need to talk about the background here. Who is Philip? So uh, Philip is one of the seven chosen to lead the compassion ministry of the early church in Jerusalem. So this story, you find it in Acts uh, chapter 6. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, this is, this is the immediate days after Jesus' resurrection and the, the birthing of the church that all started there in Jerusalem. And the church was bursting. From, from the moment that we read about in, in the second chapter of Acts, and the church was bursting with growth, with new people responding to the good news of Jesus. But along with all of that growth came an awful lot of need because people don't always come uh, without need. In fact, everybody comes with need. And in the middle of that need, there was conflict that was happening. It was actually stirring inside of the church. There was conflict, and specifically, there was accusations about ethnic discrimination. That, that the food pantry and the benevolence ministry, the compassion ministry of the church, wasn't treating everyone with equity. And so there were some accusations that it wasn't being handled well. And so what happened is the apostles, the, the 12, um, they realized they needed to restructure, they needed to reorganize their leadership team and they had to give away, they had to delegate some of their responsibilities to others who could, who could steward those responsibilities better than they were able to do given their other responsibilities. And so they empowered and they delegated others, seven, seven people specifically, one of which was this person we're reading about today, Philip. So shortly thereafter, persecution of Christians broke out in Jerusalem and most of the church scattered throughout the region. Now here's an interesting thing. As we pick up in, in, in Acts chapter 6 and, and 8, as all of this is happening, the church, the church is limited to Jerusalem. The message about the good news of Jesus, it hasn't, it hasn't gone out from there yet. There's, there's, there's Jewish synagogues throughout their region, who, people who worship the God of Israel, but the completion, the fulfillment of Israel in Jesus hasn't been told. And so the church is there in Jerusalem, and, and Jesus had actually told them, don't keep it here. I want you to expand it. So I'm going to show you a diagram, and I'll read you a verse. This is the diagram. Uh, it shows the church initially starting in Jerusalem. Jesus' final instructions are found in Acts 1.8. I don't have a slide for this. I'm just going to read it to you. But listen to what Jesus, this is the final words he spoke to the 12. He said, but you 
will receive power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the, the gospel hasn't yet gone out. And the thing that actually drives them to take the gospel out is persecution. So it's an important thing for us to realize that sometimes the human circumstances that we live within, God can use those very negative circumstances to, to propel us forward in, in the things that he has for us to walk in. Okay? This was persecution. On, when we say persecution, understand that one of the other seven people that got appointed to this compassion ministry was, was uh, Stephen. Stephen became the first martyr. He was murdered for his faith right there in Jerusalem. And so the first records for Philip, when we look at this map, we put that diagram back up. Philip has left Jerusalem, and he's gone as far as Samaria. Uh, this, is, this is the first record we have after Jesus' ascension of the gospel being preached outside of a Jewish context. Because Jerusalem was their city. Judea was their nation. Samaria was the next nation. It was a neighboring people group. So Philip had gone there. And there had been phenomenal results. Actually, Jesus backed up the very thing he'd said. He'd said, but you will receive power when you become my witnesses. And that's what they are experiencing in Samaria, in a neighboring nation. Let's listen to this. This is Acts 8. This tells a story of Philip. But the believers, Acts 8, 4, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria. He told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds, okay, lots of people. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs he did. These are people we might call them, they're, they're, they're not yet followers of Jesus, but they're spiritual. They have a spiritual capacity, a spiritual hunger, a spiritual interest, and, and so they're listening, they're gathering. Crowds are listening and they're, and they're gathering. And it says, in, in verse four, it says, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. What would you describe what's happening in this city of Samaria? How would you describe it? Like if you were to put a label on that, what would you call it? It's a miracle, yes, Absolutely. Revival? Initially in my notes, I called it a revival, and then I realized it's not quite a revival because these people have never been vived. Right? <laughs> Revivals, when you're coming back to something, these people have never heard about Jesus. I think maybe it's more it, along the same lines, but I would call it a, a spiritual awakening. And, and, and it's growing, and it's this amazing thing. Imagine, if you, if you can imagine this, Imagine that Boise had no Christian churches whatsoever. Imagine that we had Jewish synagogues and mosques and maybe, you know, places to worship uh, other gods, but there was no Christian church. And somebody came and planted a Christian church here and, and, and it began to grow and there was miracles happening and people were responding to Jesus and there was crowds coming and they were hungry and it was going out on social media. And then the pastor, the planter who's doing it, gets this message from an angel, and he says, leave. Leave this amazing work that's happening and go. 
You know where he's told to go? The desert. So again, using our, our equivalent metaphor here, it's like, leave what's happening right here and go stand on the road between Mountain Home and Salt Lake. That's, that's what he's told to do. This doesn't make any sense. It, it, it sounds pointless. There's no people there. It sounds hot. It sounds dangerous because in order to do that, he has to go back south down through Jerusalem where all the persecution is kind of consolidated. It's dangerous. It's hot. It's pointless. And he's not given any explanation why. He's just told to go. Go to the road that, that's in the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza. And here's the, the amazing thing. And here's, we're, we're gonna see God do something amazing through Philip, but it starts with his obedience and faith. And this is actually a big part of the Christian journey, is learning to recognize that we trust God even when we don't understand. Even when it doesn't make sense to our human reasoning. This doesn't make sense. This is, this is, this is not the, the right thing to do, technically. But, but it's God's will and God's way. And so, Philip trusts him, and he goes. Verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and now was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So somewhere along the road, Philip, you know, he, he leaves bustling work happening in Samaria. He travels all the way south. He goes back down to this road and then he stands there in the desert and along comes a chariot. And, and Luke tells us quite a few things about this person, the occupant of the chariot, uh, as just in that little paragraph. So let's take a look at what we know about the, the passenger of the chariot. First of all, we know that he's an Ethiopian. Okay, we're told that Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopia is not modern-day Ethiopia. It's actually modern-day Sudan is where it was located, right next to Ethiopia. Uh, but it was the ancient kingdom of Nubia. It was south of Egypt. Again, it's present-day Sudan. Uh, racially speaking, very different people than, than, than Philip or the people of Jerusalem. This is going to be uh, people predominantly, it's a very black nation. Uh, racially, it's a different place. But in the language of the Great Commission, you think about this, they were supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the what? Ends of the earth. Ethiopia, in their experience of global geography, was the ends of the earth. It's a place and a people who've not yet heard the good news about the gospel of Jesus. We're also told, we can, we can assume this from the passage, that he's highly trusted, that he's very influential, and he's wealthy. We know he's influential because he's a government official. He serves the queen of Ethiopia, we know he's highly trusted because she's, she's given him uh, stewardship of all of her wealth. And we're not, is that personal wealth or is that public wealth? Is he like the CFO of Ethiopia? <laughs> we're not told, but that's a high level of trust, which means he has a lot of influence. He has influence because he's trusted. He has influence because he's got positional authority in the nation. And so what happens with this man has a lot of potential to have big ripples when he goes home. We also know that he's probably wealthy himself for a couple reasons. One is he, he has a scroll of Isaiah. This is a little bit hard for us to imagine, but, but scrolls of Isaiah didn't just grow on trees. 
and you didn't have several copies of Isaiah on your shelf just in different translations. Scrolls were incredibly hard to come by. They were incredibly expensive. Nobody had them. They were, they were kept at the synagogues. And yet he has a copy of Isaiah. He's, he's purchased that at great, at great cost, I can assure you. We're also, we can assume he's wealthy because he's riding in a chariot. Ordinary people walked wherever they went. Affluent people might ride a horse or a donkey. It was only the extremely wealthy that rode in chariots. This is the equivalent of like a diplomatic motorcade. This is a limousine driving through the desert, okay? We're also told he's a eunuch, which means that he has experienced some kind of genital mutilation, which was perhaps likely was a condition of his job. It's a pretty common thing in Eastern kingdoms for, uh, for those entrusted with stewardship in the palace, overseeing people, families, the queen, to, be, to have to become eunuchs. So um, we know that about him. And that has some implications. We know the last thing we know about him from this passage is that he's spiritually open and hungry, but he's also excluded from the full participation in Israel. We know he's, he's spiritually hungry and open because he's returning from a pilgrimage to Jerusalem where he went to worship. He went to worship at the temple and he made the, the journey from Nubia to Jerusalem, which depending on where he lived in Nubia was a at least 1,200 miles. That's not a small thing in a chariot. This man is searching for God. He's, he's reading this, the, the scroll of Isaiah. He's somebody who's spiritually open and hungry, but we also know that he was, he was uh, excluded from full participation in Israel. We'll talk about that in just a second, but he is what is known in the New Testament and what Bible historians and theologians call a, a God-fearer. A God-fearer was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person who worshiped the God of Israel but had not become a full convert because full conversion happened through one of two ways or both, through circumcision and baptism. And so he's not, he's not been allowed, likely because of his condition of being a eunuch, he's not allowed full participation. In fact, his participation with the people of Israel is actually limited by Scripture itself. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy 23.1 that reads like this. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay? Here's what this tells us. Just, just who he is and where he's been and what he's doing, that there is a lot of conflict inside of this man. There's a conflict between the conditions of his life and the conditions of his heart. His heart is longing for God and for community with God's people. He's traveled to Jerusalem to be with the people who know and worship God, to learn more about him. And his condition keeps him on the outside. We can assume his pilgrimage to, to worship in Jerusalem has left him somewhat unfulfilled, spiritually unsatisfied. It hasn't fully met his, his desires because he's eager and hungry to know and worship God, and yet he's held at a distance by the faith community and by those who know and worship God. He's held at a distance by the holiness laws of the Hebrew scripture, okay? This is where Philip enters the scene. Acts 8, 29. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran. I love that. <laughs> I mean, there's a chariot. Philip's standing on the crossroads, like, 
waiting. Here comes this chariot. Spirit says, go join the chariot. So here comes Philip, right? (laughs) Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? Do you hear the, the frustration? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. We know that passage as Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. The numeric grid, the addresses that we use to find Scripture and chapter and verse, that hadn't been imposed on Scripture yet. All he had was a scroll of Isaiah. So he doesn't know where he's reading. He's just like maybe, you know, three-quarters of the way through, 80%. Let's continue. Verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, Does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, this is really important, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Luke doesn't record the, the full conversation that happened between Philip and the eunuch that day. He just tells us that Philip started right here in Isaiah 53 and then brought him up to speed. Told him about who Jesus is, about what Jesus had done, and why that was good news for everyone, for all people. Philip would have explained to him that Jesus came as the suffering servant he was reading about in Isaiah, the one that was promised, who was like a lamb led to the slaughter but opened not his mouth. He said, this is Jesus. He would have explained that Jesus offered himself as a sacrificial lamb on behalf of all creation. He would have talked about the the meaning of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Philip would have explained to him that, that Jesus' death on the cross, that through that, people can receive forgiveness for every wrong thing they've ever done or every wrong thing they ever will do. Through Jesus' death on the cross, People can be forgiven for the things from, from when we do the, thing, the wrong thing or when we fail to do the right thing, when we feel shame over that, when we feel uh, distant from God because we know that we've lived in ways that are not according to God's ways. That every single one of those, every single one of those can be forgiven through what Jesus did by offering himself on the cross. Philip would have gone on to explain about the resurrection, that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, that he was restored to a different quality of life, a different quantity of life. He he came back with eternal life and that people can be spiritually reborn to eternal life themselves, given a new nature that longs to and is empowered to obey God. So this this way that, that people live where they long to know God, but, they're, but they feel incapable of doing it. There's a way forward, and it's through resurrection life. It's being, given, being made a new creation, being given a new nature, having your, God's spirit put inside of you. Philip would have explained that this is good news to every person from every nation, from every race, every tribe, every culture, 
even to eunuchs. This is good news for Jew and Gentile. It's good news for slave or free. It's good news for male or women. It's good news for rich or poor. It's good news for married and to eunuchs. It's good news to everyone. I I suspect, we don't know this for sure, but it's pretty easy to conjecture this. I think Philip may have said, hey, keep reading. Let's keep reading. Just, Just go through a few more turns of the scroll to what we know as Isaiah 56. He's in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 56 reads this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, foreigner, read Ethiopian, who's searching for God. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting, eternal. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's good news to a eunuch who's searching for God and has been held at a distance. Philip would have explained that forgiveness and new life with God in a new family is a gift from God that people can each receive as an act of faith. Philip would have explained that this act of faith begins with repentance. It begins with turning away from any form of life that is disobedient to God's ways, any form of life that's independent from God. Turning away from that and turning towards God. I suspect that Philip probably used the language that he'd heard Peter say to a crowd before everyone scattered from Jerusalem. He'd heard Peter say this to a crowd one day. This is Acts 2. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn from your sins, turn from independent living, turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. This is the the type of conversation that had, beginning with Isaiah 53, as Philip unpacks this passage for him, this, this message. Conversation, it happens as they're rolling through the desert. Verse 36 tells us that as they were going along the road, they came to some water in the desert. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I think this is a genuine question. From someone who has, has, has been seeking God and has not been fully included, he's like, can I actually do this? This, this message that you've talked about, is it, is it really for me? What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Final verse, verse 39 and 40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus, 
And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Luke's just kind of matter of fact about this. And everybody seems to just kind of take it in stride. Like, they go down in the water, like Philip baptizes him, and when the guy comes up out of the water, Philip's gone. And he's, you know, he, he showed up suddenly, running next to the chariot. He disappeared suddenly. That's how it is, right? He just takes it in stride, but did you hear the shift? Because formerly he was frustrated. He's the one, the language when he says to, to Philip, how can I understand if no one will explain it to me? Now he leaves rejoicing. Baptism, someone being invited into the family of God, responding in wholehearted repentance, saying, I give you my life, and I choose to follow you with the rest of my life, that's an occasion for rejoicing. So, so it ends with him rejoicing. Philip just, like, evaporates, finds himself in Azotus. He takes it in stride and says, I guess I preach here. He works his way up to Caesarea, where we find him at the end of the book of Acts, decades later. He's still in Caesarea. There he's known as, in Acts 21, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And this is what he does. There's a lot of supernatural stuff in the story, right? There's Philip just being at the right place on a desert road between Mountain Home and Salt Lake, right as the guy drives by being at the right place at the right time, hearing him reading Isaiah, him being in Isaiah in, in just the place right before it gets to the, the good news for eunuchs. This is, all, this is all sovereign, divine interaction. Having the conversation conclude right as they roll up to water in the desert. Here's what this tells us. This tells us something significant about God. Tells us something deeply important about God and about the nature of salvation, the, the salvation that Jesus won for all of creation. So, a couple things. What does the story tell us about God? It tells us that God wants the message to go out to all people, all people, for the good news and the invitation of what He accomplished to be extended to all. God's desire for this is universal. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And it's all so incredibly personal. This is so profoundly personal. This one man who's searching for God and, and hasn't, been, hasn't heard the fullness of the good news yet and been able to respond to it yet. God interrupts an awakening happening in Samaria, also people that he loves. But he interrupts it to send Philip all the way there. That's a deeply personal God. What does this story tell us about the church? I believe Philip represents the church in this story. The church is the people who've been entrusted with the message, who've personally responded to it, but also entrusted with extending the message to other people. Philip gets sent. He's told to go. He's not told to just wait till this eunuch finds you in Samaria. God says, I love this guy. Go find him. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's hot, even if it's dangerous, I love him. I gave my life for him. Go and find him and tell him the message. Philip represents the church. Paul described, he described the calling of the church like this in 2 Corinthians 5. All of this, meaning the gospel, 
all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Okay, this is the church. Brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we might be made right with God through Christ. That's the appeal today. Come back to God. Come receive everything Jesus won for you on the cross. We started this morning by talking about a pivotal question, and it's this, it's this life-altering question that the eunuch asks. Here's water. What, is there anything that would keep me from being baptized? Let me talk to the church for a minute, and specifically, let me talk to those of you who have been baptized. You've already answered that question at some point. Then here's the importance of this message, is we're supposed to fully embrace everything that means for us, and we're supposed to extend it to other people, to other cultures, to other races, to other subgroups, to people that have previously been alienated. Everything. Jesus is the doorway into this life. Nothing else matters. There's a, there's a propensity in 21st century America and maybe around the world for Christians to be at war, a cultural war with other people, with people who think differently, believe differently, live differently. And here's the thing. We cannot be at war with people and extend God's love to them at the same time. We have to choose. I think this passage says very clearly what God's heart is. Jesus died for every person regardless of... Uh, we, the, the, the living in a fallen world has touched all of us. Jesus, is a, he, he gave his life for all. No longer counting their sin against him. So church, we're called to not just take a casual posture, but to go. We're called to be ambassadors. So that's if you've already responded. If you've not responded in baptism... Or, or maybe you did a long time ago, but maybe you've been running from God. The question is the same question today. Is what would keep you from being baptized? What prevents you from being baptized? And, and there's all kinds of reasons. Some of them are internal. Struggles we have in our own hearts. Questions we have. Some of them are external. Things that people have said to us about our worthiness, about our capacity to be redeemed. It's interesting. This same question... The same question, we're in Acts chapter 8 right now. When we get to Acts chapter 10, we have Peter asking a very similar question. The, the, the question the eunuch asks, Peter asks the same question as the church saying, should we offer baptism to these people? And real briefly, I'll just, you, you should go read the story if you're not familiar with it, Acts chapter 10. Peter is sent to Caesarea, the same place that Philip ends up at. Peter is sent to Caesarea by God to a Gentile people, also to God-fearers people who 
were interested in God, worshiped God, but were, were Gentiles. And, and Peter shows up and he says, you know I shouldn't be here. The, the, the purity laws of scripture tell me I should not eat with you because you're unclean. Because your lifestyle and your culture is unclean. I shouldn't even be here. But God told me to be here, so why am I here? And, and the head of the household, Cornelius, he says, well, I don't know, but God told me to send for you, so why are you here? And so Peter's like, well, I guess I'll tell you the story about Jesus. And so he has kind of a similar conversation to what Philip and the eunuch had. And while he's in the conversation, God runs out of patience to wait for the end of the message, and he just sends the Holy Spirit on this group of people. And the Holy Spirit lands on them in the same way it did on the disciples in Acts chapter 2, in the exact same way. It doesn't always happen the exact same way. It did for the Gentiles in Caesarea because God was saying, I make no distinction. Peter's watching this happen and he goes, well, since God sent his Holy Spirit on him, should we withhold baptism? And the answer is no. What prevents you from being baptized today? There is is nothing Let me say this, there is nothing that can prevent you from responding to the the invitation from Jesus because that's where it all starts. That's where new life begins. That's where the Holy Spirit enters into our life, where we're born again, where where we receive a, a desire and a capacity to will and to work for his good pleasure. If up until now you've struggled with being pleasing to God, but you've you've never been filled with his spirit, that that's well, that's that's the human condition. But if you long to, if there's something in you like what this eunuch, the eunuch was on, he, this was his gestation. Like he'd been in gestation, spiritual gestation. This was the moment of his new birth. It's interesting that when, when birth happens, natural birth happens, water breaks, right? And then new life emerges. Today we have an invitation to baptism. And, and it's a joyful moment. For those of us who are, are not being baptized, we get, to, we get to welcome people into the family of faith, into the family of God, where people's identity is no longer anything, no, long, no labels that have ever been put on them are their identifying label anymore. It's you are a child of God. And we're the brothers and sisters, and we say welcome. And we have a joyful celebration. That's what baptism is, right? So we get to celebrate, we get to cheer, but the invitation is for those of you, who, if you're considering this day, maybe some of you came. In fact, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping here. Put up that last slide, please. If you came today planning to be baptized, some of you are already or planning for that. If you have a change of clothes and you need to go do that now, now's a good time to slide out and the restrooms are back in the art hall back here and you can go back and change your clothes. Um, if you didn't come prepared to be baptized, but there's something stirring in you today and you want to answer to this life-altering question and you want to answer, yes, I want to be baptized. Nothing. I don't want anything to keep me from Jesus. If you want to respond to that, we've, we've, brought, we've got T-shirts over here. We have towels. We have extra towels. So that, don't let that be the thing that prevents you from being baptized today. Don't let the physical circumstances. 
Pastor Jackie is going to bring our kids in just a moment. The, the uh, children ages six and up, they're going to be joining in the sanctuary to be a part of this and to celebrate this. This is a formational moment for them. So children six and up, if you have kids that are six and up, you're going to pick them up here or in this section after the service. Um, you just have to show your tag. So similar process, but just they'll be over here. For children five and under, um, if you would go get them at around 1135, um, that would be really helpful to our children's ministry volunteers. But our worship team is going to come right now. And uh, we're going to, as a church, we're going to just spend a few moments in worship. And let's let's go ahead and stand. Make it easier to move. Let's go ahead and stand. If you want to be baptized, whether you plan for it or whether this is spontaneous, there's a table over here. If you go over there, we have a team that's going to give you a name tag so that we can pray for you and baptize you by name. God knows you by name, but we don't all know you by name. Not everybody. So you're going to get a name tag and a, a shirt. And then the prayer team is actually going to pray for you right there before you come over because we really believe this is a personal decision. And so our prayer team would love to pray for you personally, pray over your life, your decision. And then uh, w- as you get ready, we're going to ask you to come up here and just kind of queue up over here on the side. As you come up onto the stage, Pastor Jesse's going to facilitate this time. He's just going to ask you a few questions and just lead you through this moment of decision and then invite you to step into the, the water. We're going to have uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor So are going to be baptizing people today. And um, I'm going to evaporate and go to Azotus. <laughs> Actually, I am going to leave at some point and go to North Carolina. Today, our, our national conference starts in North Carolina. So um, we have a few people that are, that are leaving probably a little bit early, if the, depending on how long this baptism goes. And Pastor Jesse's going to facilitate that. And then as you come out the other side, we have people to pray for you on the other side as well. Our job as a church is we're going to celebrate We're going to welcome people. And and my prayer is that we allow this to shape our hearts to say, God, who do you want to send me to? And how do you want to send me? So with that said, let's just join in worship. And um, and then we'll respond.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, this morning, Lord, we just thank you for a love that has pursued us. God, we thank you for a love that has pursued each one of us. In spite of whatever situation, in spite of whatever walls may have stood between us, you pursued us, Lord. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you. We get to see people stepping in to the waters of baptism because you have pursued them. So thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to invite the first person who's ready. All right. This is my friend Brandon. Can we give it up for Brandon today? Yeah, you can come up, come on up here. And then anyone else is getting baptized, you guys can kind of get ready over here in this area. Um, so Brandon, uh, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions, but first I wanna give you a chance just to share um, what has God been doing in your life to get you to this moment, if you wanna just share real quick. Wow. Well, so I was baptized as a baby, but ever since I was about 12 years old, my life's just been surrounded with drugs and alcohol, just a life of sin. Um, and really this last year, God just really moved in my life. Um, this church has just brought me closer to God every day. And I'm just grateful for God and this church body. So thank you. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. That's so good. So this is the question I wanna ask you today. Today, as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior? And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave? And do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have? I do. Amen. Can we, can we praise God for that? So just step on down. Can we welcome Evangeline this morning? So before I ask you this question today, um, would you wanna, actually, what's God been doing in your life to get you to this point of wanting to say yes to baptism? Um, I don't really know. It's like part of my family and it always has been. Well, this morning then, 
as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior? Yes. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave? Yes. And do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have? Always. All right, praise God. All right, let's go get you baptized. Church, can we welcome Nathan this morning? So Nathan, what's God been doing in your life that's gotten you to this, this moment here? I don't wanna read this. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I'm gonna read this on Nathan's behalf. This is something he wrote. It says, I'm an alcoholic that's been sober for five years. hasn't been cleansed since? Yeah. Okay, until I realized alcoholism is a well, okay. So I, I, for five years, that hasn't been cleansed since I realized, until I realized alcoholism is a well-documented and pathological grief. So I pray to Yahweh and his witness that become pure and help me to get set, set good examples for my daughters. Create a new heart in me, O Lord, and put a new loyal heart in me. Amen. Amen. I'll give that back to you. Well, actually, I'll keep it here so it doesn't get wet. Um, what, do you wanna throw that on over your shirt or? Okay, you wanna just set it here? And I wanna ask you a real quick question, if I can. Can I just ask you these questions, Nathan? Why don't you turn and face the crowd? There you go. So today as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior? And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave? Wholeheartedly. Amen. And do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have? Yep. All right. Let's get you baptized, Nathan. so that no one can boast. For you are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Nathan, upon the confession of your faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, you ready? All right, Keely, is that your name? All right, would you wanna share anything? What's God been doing in your life that's got you to this, this moment? I can't really think of anything to say. Okay, well, I'm sure he's been doing something in you because you're here to say yes to him. So I wanna just ask you this question, okay? Today, as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior? Uh, yeah. Okay. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you? He won it for you, Keely, in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Do you receive that today? Yes. All right. And do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have? Yes. All right, well, let's get you baptized. God. All right, who's next? Come on up. Megan. Can we say hi to Ma Megan, everyone? Megan, would you just want to share just a little something about what God's doing in your life that got you to this moment? He brought me back. <laughs> Tell us more about that. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. I cry all the time up here, so. Okay, that's good. All right, so, but we do wanna ask you this question, is that okay? 
Today as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior? Yes. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Yes. All right, and, and, do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you have and all that you are? Yes. Let's get you baptized. of Jesus for you this morning. It's a classic one. You probably have heard it before, but it's for you right now. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's a relational yoke. He's on one side, you're on the other. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. My burden is easy, and my yoke is light. in these waters that are come forth taking up the yoke of learning how to live a life of unforced rhythms of grace. So make it upon the confession of your faith we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Darby, is that it? All right. Welcome, Darby. Can we, can we welcome Darby to the platform today? Darby, uh, what's God been doing in your life leading to this moment that's got you saying yes to baptism? God has really built a covenant in my life with God. Um, I'm actually here because not only did Jesus give his life for my sin, um, also did my um, uncle and I was robbed a long time ago, and I'm recommitting myself to a living amends and trying to, you know, just live a little bit better life. And I'm so blessed what all um, recovery has given me, and this is my next step in my um, my faith. Awesome, awesome. Well, today, Darby, do you, um, as you're getting baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as Savior today? I do. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Yes. And today, do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you have and all that you are? I do. All right, well, let's get you baptized.
to see you like to as a completely clean and protect safe. He is your savior and eternal life. Father God, thank you. You brought your son today. You make him to be stronger deeply in his faith. He changed today everything in a new creation forever. You will be blessed. Now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit We've got a, we've got a cup, we've got a couple more. If if God is stirring in your heart today, there's it's not too late. Um, there's there's plenty of t-shirts over there, so we've got just a couple more. But if if you're just sensing maybe this is for you today and you didn't you weren't planning on it, there's still time. All right, is it Rhiannon? All right, nice to meet you. Can we can we welcome Rhiannon this morning? Is if you wouldn't mind, would you just share what, what's God doing in your life that's you, not, not today? Okay, I know, this is kind of scary up here, isn't it? Okay, but I do wanna ask you these questions if that's okay. As you're baptized today, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as your savior? Yes. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Yes. And Rhiannon, today, do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have? Yes. Amen, amen. Let's get you baptized. about 17. Wherefore, if any woman is in Christ, she is a kinekathesis. She is a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. Father, we thank you for the truth of this. We thank you for that truth weaving its way in and through the life of Rhiannon. Lord, you know her story. You're the author of her story. We ask, Lord, meet her in these waters and usher her into the next, next stage of her journey, Lord. So, Rhiannon, upon the confession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've got one more. One more. Hey, if you have um, a child in nursery, um, we'd invite you to go pick them up. Uh, maybe right after um, Kalani. I knew her name. I just forgot for a moment. It's scary up here. Um, so Kalani, would you want to just share with the group what God's doing in you that got you to this moment to want to get baptized? 
Do you love Jesus? Yeah. All right. I knew it. I want to ask you a couple questions, okay? As you're baptized today, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as your Savior? Yeah. And today, do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Yes. All right. And last question. Do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you have and all that you are? Yeah. All right. Let's get baptized then.
All right. Well, I said that I said that was the last one, but we actually have one more. Yeah. Jennifer, come on up. We're so glad you're here today. Would you just share with us what God's doing in you in this season that's got you in this moment saying yes to baptism? God has blessed me with a second chance. I just moved here from Texas and God is doing for me what I cannot do for myself. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. So Jennifer, today as you're baptized, you acknowledge your need for Jesus as your Savior. Yes, I do. And do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Always and forever. And do you commit to follow him from this day forward with all that you have and all that you are? Yes, sir. All right, well, let's get you baptized, Jennifer. I said that was the last one, but, and I'm not biased here, but I think we saved the best for last because this is my little son. This is Hudson Meyer. So Hudson, is there anything you'd want to share that God's doing in you this morning that makes you want to get baptized today? Well, I had been baptized when I was five, but I didn't really know what it meant. I just did it because I wanted to. And now you feel like you understand it better? That's amazing, bud. Well, hey, I'm gonna ask you these questions and then I'm probably gonna jump in the tank. Hudson, as you're baptized, do you acknowledge your need for Jesus as savior and do you receive the free gift of forgiveness and resurrection life that he won for you in his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Yes. And do you commit to follow him as the Lord of your life from this day forward with all that you are and all that you have. Yes. All right, then let's get baptized, bud. Here we go. 
God, I just thank you for my son. Thank you that he said yes to you. Thank you that he's receiving the free gift of salvation that you won for him, Lord. And thank you that he's committing to following you for the rest of his life. And so today, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Okay, I'm gonna pray. And then if you have a child that is first through sixth grade, you can go and pick them up over here. And if they're five and under, they're still back in their classrooms, please um, go pick them up ASAP for those teachers. There are some words for prayer. You can look up on the screens, but I'm gonna pray over you before we go. Father. We thank you so much for what you've done this morning. We thank you for all of these kids, all of these adults that have made the decision to get baptized. We pray over them, we pray over their families. We pray that as they go out into their worlds this week that they will remember that their purpose is to share Jesus with those around them. We thank you, God, for every single family unit in this place. We thank you that you are continuing to make them healthy. You are co continuing to make them strong. And more than anything else, God, we just say today that we love you, that our hearts are for you, our lives are for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's go make the invisible God visible. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.